Hey everybody, this is Kevin Eslin, and you are listening to the second episode of Folk Stories. Folk Stories is a show where I have one-on-one conversations with people that fascinate me. We'll go over who they are, what they do, and how they got here. We'll explore their backstories, their current stories, and stories yet to be told. In Folk Stories, I want to put the emphasis on people and their personal narratives. Everyone has one. And in this podcast, I hope to shine the light on a few of them. Now, with that being said, I'd like to introduce y'all to today's guest, Jay Hitt. Jay is a cast member and managing director of the Unexpected Productions Theater, otherwise known as UP. UP is Seattle's longest-running improv theater, and Jay has been there for over two of the plus three decades that it's been around. Jay studied theater in college and got interested in improv through an early fascination with ninjas. At UP, Jay helped see the theater through multiple expansions, renovations, and new shows. One of the shows that Jay helped kickstart was the Duels Comedy Showcase. Duels is an open mic for improvisers where both budding new improvisers and longtime vets can try new material in front of a live audience. I first met Jay while performing in Duels, which recently just celebrated its 10-year anniversary, twice. Today's episode is mostly improvised. We'll talk a lot about improvisation, what it is and isn't, how to get started, and common misconceptions. We'll dive into Jay's day job as a managing director of UP and the challenge of being both a performer and a manager. We'll also talk about Jay's specific style of improv and the sort of qualities he looks for in new improvisers. This is a lot that we covered today, so let's just jump right in. Without further ado, I give you Jay Hit. Jay Hit, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Kevin. I figure there's a lot of places where we could start, but first, I'm curious, how did you get into improv? Oh wow! So it's kind of a it's a, it kind of interesting, I guess. I was in uh, fifth grade, and I uh, remember seeing. Uh, a guy named Joe Bob. He had a black tracksuit on, and my friend goes, uh, "Wow, Joe Bob looks like one of those those ninjas that we saw in that movie." And I can't remember which movie it was exactly, but but uh, I thought, "Wow, that's really cool." And so I got into Asian World Martial Arts, and I, I ordered a black tracksuit. It was one of those Enter the Dragon Bruce Lee tracksuits. Uh, and and then we used to then we all got ninja suits. We'd run around in our ninja suits around Lusk, Wyoming, and. Then I got a book of the history of ninjas, and part of it was ninjas weren't always in the suits. They were um, uh, they would infiltrate the town. They would pose as other people, as peasants, as, you know, as people. They'd they'd hide for long periods of time before they assassinated somebody. But I like the idea that uh, they would ju- they were just playing other people. They were kind of acting. So that kind of like led me toward acting was was through this, this these ninjas, and also uh, so I was really big into the martial arts movies and uh jackie chan i loved him too bruce lee and then i watched a movie with uh donald o'connor in it it was anything goes with bing crosby and donald o'connor and he was hopping around on stairs he was kicking balls around i was like this is like jackie chan this is what he this is like what he does and then i thought oh i want to i want to rent another movie with uh donald o'connor and so i ended up getting uh Singing in the Rain with him and this other guy who was really good. It was Gene Kelly, of course. He was the best, one of the best. And so then I started getting all of his movies, and that led me into kind of getting into the drama world. I took uh, drama in theater. And when I was uh, in 19, uh, 1980, 
87 or 88, I came and saw the, my first unexpected production show, Theater Sports. And it just it blew me away. I thought I'll never be able to do, to do this. And then I ended up uh, in Casper College when I was um, uh, majoring in drama. Uh, I found I really enjoyed improv the most, and comedy. I would do little stand-up routines, uh, stand-up comedy routines. Um, I really loved the physical comedy. I was doing uh, lots of slapsticky stuff before I even knew what slapstick was. And um, then I moved to Seattle, and I uh, tried to... I, I did a. Uh, I put in for a class uh, at Unexpected Productions, and they never got back to me. <laughs> uh, their uh, education director at the time, I, I don't know, I forgot who. I think it was Scott Creighton, but um, I'd leave several messages. They just didn't get back to me. It was maybe a little more unorganized than it, than it is now. So I went and got another. I uh, did another class with a guy named Bruce Baker, and that led me to. Performing in the, uh, we we did our first performance in the school, like a lot of a lot of uh, classmates would do. They you know they get together and then they want to make it do a performance. Then we uh, started. We had a good chemistry. Started a little group in the basement of this church, and it wasn't church related. It was just we rented the room for cheap, like fifty bucks. Uh, and one night we had four people in the audience, which <laughs> was pretty typical. Um, one of them was the uh, manager for the comedy underground. And he went and scouted out uh, us, Annex Improv, and Unexpected Productions. And they they chose us to be at the Comedy Underground because we were probably a similar crowd. And we uh, just had this great, fun energy. And we didn't care how many people were in the audience. We just played for the, for the fun. And he uh, really enjoyed that. So we were in the Comedy Underground for five years. Uh, and then I auditioned for... A theater sports, and this was in '93. The first time I was I was at Unexpected Productions was in their Improvathon in 1991. Um, Wheel of Improv was the name of my little group, Fresh Art Entertainment. We were invited to um, uh, do that, do the do have a slot in the Improvathon in '91. So that was the first time, and I was just in awe. I was I was so impressed with everybody. It was it was really exciting. Uh, and then in '93, I auditioned and and got in, and have been here ever since. And then 2006, we um, or the end of 2006, like in December, they brought me in as managing director. It, just before that, I'd done other, I'd, I'd done a lot of things to help help UP make money. You know, like with uh, New Year's show, uh, we started the first student showcase in improv in Seattle, um, and. Uh, there they were. I started the New Year's show. They were a little, a little skeptical on the New Year's show. Um, they, you know, the, they go the last time we had a New Year's show, like forty people showed up, and I was like, "Well, that's forty people that'll pay for our party then." <laughs> and then we ended up, we ended up uh, selling it out, and people were. Uh, we had we didn't have a liquor license. We had to get a banquet permit, so anybody who came to our New Year's show got free beer because we couldn't. We it was illegal to sell it, so we gave them free beer, and this was. In I can't remember early two thousands I think. Um, so you were not able to sell it, but you could distribute it. That's we could give it. Yeah, in the bar we could we could give it. It was a private. It was considered a private event, so people would pay the tickets to to get into the show, and then they would get free beer until we ran out. And uh, and it was uh, Manny's I think was what we had. And uh, ever since then we've I don't wanna I mean I don't know if this commercial for Manny's, but but we've never had any anybody different, or we've rarely had any, anybody different. Um, 
And yeah, then in, in 2006, they put me in as, as managing director, and I've been there ever since. And uh, we're, we started with, uh, our school started with five classes, um, improv 100 through 500, and now we have uh, 20 classes. We have some on the east side, and we have our own space with, with uh, a school and all that. So it's, it's growing. Yeah. It's been good. That's incredible. To sh- also, to think that this all started off with this uh, a boy's dream to be a ninja. And <laughs> I know. Now, I, and, and I'm wondering, you know, like, did you did you ever veer off the path? Is like improv your cover? Is this just a very long mission, and you're you know you have some target in the city? Or <laughs> no, I do know. Well, so when I did first start, I didn't like it. Scared me really, really badly. I uh, my first class. I'd called I'd called him up and he told me where it was. It was in this uh, gymnasium on Roosevelt. And I got there a little bit late. I peeked in the window and I saw these people doing these weird things and so I turned around and went home. I, I thought it was too weird for me. Uh, like like a cult. It was like a weird little cult game I thought they were playing, I don't know. And he called me back up and asked why I didn't show up. And I said, "Well, I don't, I don't think improv's for me." And he goes, "Well, why don't you just come back and try it?" And so I came back, and it turned out that weird little game was was uh, sound ball. It'd be like, you know, just throwing throwing all these weird sounds, and that's why it, it was weird and made me turn around and go the other way. Um, but then, yeah, he got me to come back, and I stuck with it. Improv, I think, especially coming in from the outside, um, can be one of the most intimidating things. Um, and I remember, like, my first improv class... I thought I signed up for Improv 100. I actually ended up signing up for 500. And oh. so what ended up happening is I go in, and I think it was Andy who was asking everyone, you know, like, so why did you all decide to take this class? What do you want to get out of it? And so there were like eight people, and people were talking about, you know, I have my improv group in Portland, and I want to work on this sort of improv, or like I did improv in the past, and I'm working on a book. And like it came to me, and it's like, I think I'm in the wrong class. I've never done this before, and you guys seem way too good for this. Uh-huh. Um, and I was in the wrong class, but they were good enough to let me sit in, and then I went to the 100 class. Mm. Um, but one thing I have heard um, a lot from when I, people ask me what I do for fun and I talk about improv is, like, I could never do that. Like, that just seems so scary. And um, I don't think that's true. I think, like, definitely from the outside, like, it can be scary. But that um, it is something that... You know, I've seen people that started off terrible um, and have gotten so much better, you know, over duels and over mm-hmm. performances over a long period of time. Like, this is definitely something you can get better at, um, but it just, like, doesn't feel like it. And I'm wondering, is there anything that you say to people when people say, like, oh, this is not something I can do? Like, what do you say? Well, you know, I have told them that story before about me being scared and turning around and I, uh, and just some of the stuff I've struggled with and have, have gone through. Um and yeah, one is, I would say the the biggest advice I guess I give to people is perform for yourself uh, and and for the audience. You know, perform for the spectators, but don't worry about pleasing your fellow <laughs> improvisers. You know, you're, you you go out there trying to please a veteran or trying to do everything right, and that's when you get into your head and you mess up even worse. So I would say just. Just perform for yourself. The for yourself part just means uh, have fun. You know, have fun with your fellow performers. Make sure you're just you're just having a good time. Uh, don't take it 
too seriously, you know, take the work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously, I guess is a good way to, to say it. And, uh, and it's not so precious, you know, cause, cause for one thing, it's going to be gone right after you do it <laughs> and you'll have something new to, to do the next time you do an improv. But yeah, so I'd, I'd say just, yeah, don't worry about the judgment of it. And, uh, improv is supposed to be a, a non-judgmental art form because you're going in accepting everybody's offer. You can't have any judgment on it, even though maybe later on people talk about a bad scene or something, but really just go in, I guess, approach it with love. That's, that's a good way of, of putting it. Yes. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Improv and cooking, I think, and probably <laughs> many other things fall in that category. Yeah. So, um, I noticed that UP uh, has been around for a very long time now. I think some over 30 years. Um, and you've been around for a lot of that time, I think around 20 uh, of those years. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, so UP is in its 35th year, and I am in my 25th year. So I got here 10 years after. In your time here, um, how has UP and in general improv in Seattle changed? Um, what has changed and what's stayed the same? Um, yeah, there, there's... One is there's a lot more of it. Uh, I mean, every time you you have good, successful classes or, or people who have great chemistry, they go on and, and start their own group, and so there's more and more of that. And um, other other you know other companies have have come from us. But as far as um, what's changed in improv, um, one thing I've kind of noticed and. And it comes and goes, but but it's 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 definitely there. Is when I first started, almost everybody was into drama and into acting. People would audition outside and and do other things, be in plays, be in commercials, uh, that kind of thing. Where now there is way more, uh, maybe people who are in the technology world uh, or just but non actors, people with, without an acting background. Uh, who might be doing it, who started out doing it maybe on the side or starting out doing it just for the fun of it uh, or, to, or to improve their uh, their social life or their, their uh, overcome shyness, that kind of thing. Um, so, so, yeah, there's, I did notice a lot of that. There's more, there, there's less theater and in, in, uh, people from the theater backgrounds, I guess. Um, recently, we auditioned in uh, quite a few people who have theater backgrounds, um, but it's, not as near, nearly as common. That's one big thing. Do you notice a difference between the people who have a theater background and the people who don't, um, as far as styles of improv and how they perform? Yeah, yeah. You can tell. Uh, you can sometimes tell who's an actor and who learned to be an actor. A lot, a lot of the people who don't have theater backgrounds will learn and take classes and end up getting getting better. Uh, the people with theater backgrounds have the natural. Um, their 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 emotion seems more real, I guess. I don't know. They're they're, they're really good with the emotional side or the, the dramatic side, um, and they know styles. Like you ask them who, uh, uh, if, if somebody just ha- in the audience happens to say I, uh, something, the style of Edward Albee, well, a theater person will know who Edward Albee is. You know, the average person often doesn't, and audiences have changed in the same direction. Like there's less. Uh, I think audience members are more into either pop culture or whatever, uh, any, anything but, but theater, unless they come from a, a, a theater class, a drama class. So when you came into uh, improv and, you know, when you watch shows, um, what kind of shows do you enjoy and 
what do you look for? Um, I think for for me, um, I, I I gotta see that they're having fun. I like I love it when you can tell people are having fun. What whether the improv itself is uh, not not great or, or or really great. If they're having fun, I can I can tell the audience can smell that. I think. Um, I like to watch stuff that that I can't do or the stuff that I I struggle with. The, the really quick verbal verbal stuff is is impressive to me because I I am more of a physical uh, comedian. You know, um, I love watching like real moments, like real relatable moments as well. When people go, when people do things, even in stand up comedy, you, you they say to you know the try to relate to the audience or have material that'll relate. It's the same in improv. If you can bring up something that's relatable to the audience, then it's just more enter- enter- engaging, I guess, and entertaining to watch. Um, and, and I'm the same way. But but I also love <laughs> love train wrecks too. They're really <laughs> fun. It's uh, I've been in, in my fair share of this. <laughs> yeah, I, I like them. I like watching. Well, you mentioned this earlier, but I like watching people grow too. But but that's the duo. That's how I can know I can sit through ten years worth of duo shows <laughs> because I'll I'll watch somebody and it you know it could be a train wreck scene, but I know that they're going to get better. And, and you know, sure enough, you know. Eight times out of ten, you see them a year later or two years later, and uh, and they've improved, and they go from being the ones who you need to pad good players around to the ones who are the players who you hope show up so that they can pad the new players coming in. You know, so you, you don't want to have too many new people in a row, but also, yeah, we've got to make sure and mix it up, have a nice mixture. But I, so I don't, I like watching that too. Duels. Duels holds a special place in my heart, um, just because I've spent turtles so much of my time as the turtles group um, <laughs> in duels, and I think it's incredible just because it's such a great opportunity to get up, have stage time, perform material, and practice in front of a live audience. And you know, I've in the past I've dabbled in stand up, mm-hmm. and stand up just felt. You know, it was really tough. There was a big line. The bouncer decided who got to go and who didn't. And mm, yeah. um, you wait an hour, and, and it wasn't guaranteed that you get a spot. But like duels, just felt it was really open. Um, and you know, you encouraged newcomers, and um, you had a really great way of introducing the show, and it was very open. Um, how did duels start? Like, yeah, well, yeah, in. Uh, 2008, and for the longest time, I thought it was 2007 because we celebrated our 10 year anniversary last year, but it's actually this year. That's an old. Story you got to celebrate it twice. Uh, yeah, yeah. We might just keep celebrating it every year now, <laughs> a 10 year anniversary. But uh, I, I one wanted a, a a place where people didn't have to be uh, directed. They they had their they could direct themselves just for you know even if it's a small amount of time they could play with who they want different people, uh, but they kind of dictated what what they what they did, and and it was originally designed for uh, people from UP they experienced performers and it was set up like a stand up comedy show where you'd have a a feature act which is about fifteen minute duo and then a thirty minute duo and then a headliner duo that went on for forty five or thirty thirty to forty five minutes or thirty to an hour even uh, and that then what would happen is people said well i want to I want to perform with uh, somebody from jet city so then somebody from u p would go get somebody from jet city they never had a chance to perform with them before until duos came along so they'd perform there unless they were you know cast in a show and then 
uh, and then it became uh, a teacher would perform with a student. A student would get a teacher, uh, ask a teacher to perform in a duo, and then you'd have teachers and students, and then other students would come to support them and see duos, and then it became... It slowly expanded from three acts to four to five, and then I used to cap it at seven and eight, and now I have a strict cap at 12. Twelve <laughs> is the magic number, and if, if anybody uh, – but, but it's more of an open mic now, so you have a, a wide range of experience levels. Uh, veterans still come in and do it. Brand new people come in and do it. Um, but I try never to turn anybody away, so if they don't make it in the, the first 12 – then there's a group scene at either at the end, or I might place it in the middle somewhere. But in the group scene, even I, we had a 21 person group scene one time. Uh, they did like a Jesus Christ superstar opera kind of thing, rock opera. But but um, yeah, it's typically we have maybe six or seven or eight or so in in a, in a group scene who you don't get a chance to come in. But um, which you can do that in improv. You can't in, in stand-up. So you get – in stand-up, I used to get bumped all the time. I would drive from Wenatchee uh, and drive three hours to go to the Comedy Underground to do open mic and uh, some often get bumped. And so I tried not to do that with with the duos. And um, it's been a really fun community. It, it reminds me of a festival, like an improv festival, because you have all these different acts of different experience levels all in the same place, drinking beer and having a little party. <laughs> and I mean, it happens every Wednesday and people often, you know, regret it Thursday, but it's fun. And they come again next Wednesday. And they come again. Yeah. <laughs> now I didn't know that you did stand up or tried stand up in the past. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great for sure, but it was, uh, I, I grew up in Lusk, Wyoming. And so, uh, one, a couple of times I did stand up just at first for friends and then for, uh, uh, the little auditorium in, in Lusk. And this is before I was 21, um, moved to Seattle and got involved in just the open mics. And, um, I had fun. Like I, I, I would open, I, I never didn't make it to, you know, head headline or anything like that. But, uh, I found that I didn't. I felt weird doing the same act over and over again. My friend Mike Cap from Casper College, him and I had really great chemistry, and we were both part of our improv group. And we decided to hit the stand-up circuit doing improv as a duo, which kind of part of it too kind of led to, to duos in a way too. But uh, so we would open for stand-up comedians uh, and feature uh, for them. We went on these crazy runs uh old comedians would know the triple the triple run it's still out there and it's crazy you go up to spearfish south dakota and then down to uh twin falls mon twin falls idaho and then up into missoula montana and down into evanston wyoming you know it's just like zigzagging all over the the prairie um but we did we did those to help it kind of you know seasoned us but but it was also fun because it was a a dude who uh who you know we were best friends in college and that kind of thing um, but he kind of went on to, to keep doing stand up comedy and, and I just gravitated more toward improv at that point. Got so, it. but I love, I love stand up. I always have a special place in my heart for stand up. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think it's one of our, I mean, improv is hard, but stand up is also so hard to go on stage and everybody has these expectations. Um, and I find, I find in improv, um, like you go on and everybody, 
um, I think Granny said this is like everybody kind of like they're putting themselves in your place and they kind of want you to succeed because you know like they know that you got nothing and you need to pull up stuff from your foot or your butt yeah. <laughs> whatever yeah really yeah. Um, but in stand-up it's almost the opposite where you know you're going on stage and uh, it's implied that well I have all these great jokes and I'm going to make you laugh and so there's these expectations that are built up um, I'm wondering like having done stand-up and improv what do you find um, like are there things in stand-up that you find carry over well in improv and what are things don't Oh, the, the things that carry over definitely would be uh, the ability to, to MC a show. Uh, when you're when you're up doing stand up, you're presentational. You have stuff that you've memorized, but you're also willing to to uh, let let go of of it and improvise a little bit if the audience gets unruly or if uh, if if you catch if something catches your eye, you can riff off off the audience a little bit. And that's that really has helped uh, as far as uh, like hosting, uh, even hosting hosting duos uh, in the beginning. Um, the I think where it where it could hold people back is uh, they go out with an idea and they have to change in improv. You don't because you don't know what your fellow player is going to do. So if you go out with an idea, you might be able to get it out. You might you might be able to get out your gag, your joke, but it's going to make you look bad, and it could really hurt the scene. It could it could hurt the other make the other person look bad um so that's the big that's the big thing i've noticed about new new stand-ups doing doing improv is they want to control control it or they have they have an idea that that they they put out at the expense of the scene that's something that i uh took me a while to realize uh that like in improv it's um it's not necessarily when you're doing a group scene that you know, you're telling a joke and you're getting a great laugh or anything like that. It's it's about the story. Like the story becomes this like greater entity that everyone's kind of working towards. And sometimes you can pull out a gag, but at the expense of the story, which like you've just dropped all the stakes or um, you've just nullified something important that was just introduced. Um, and I think it's easy to make um, have like certain conceptions about what improv is you know i've heard like oh like improv so you must be like really funny do you tell jokes all the time <laughs> and that sort of thing um what are i don't know like misconceptions you've seen people have about improv when they get started and then even as they develop yeah yeah like like you said you do see a lot of people saying uh, uh tell me a joke or or hey i have uh i have something you can put in your improv sketch Put that in your sketch. Uh, my my wife Tiffany and I joke about that. Uh, whenever we hear, put that in your sketch. Um, uh, the I think um, uh, now you know what I think I talked the question out of my brain. What? <laughs> <laughs> so the question is misconceptions. I'm in the moment. Yes, you're so in. <laughs> It maybe just means it's time for a different question. But the previous question was no. uh, misconceptions about improv. Oh, misconceptions. What people think improv is, and even performers. I know one, maybe. Maybe. I think, at least for people who start out doing improv, taking classes, even maybe even some of the performers, I don't know, they, they think that there are these rules in improv. And I'm, and this is just kind of my opinion, just observation. Um, I think, uh, other than maybe don't don't deny the offer don't deny the reality there's really no rules um there's principles lots of principles of improv but no rules there's no the rules come when you apply a format or a game onto it 
Uh, so like standing, sitting, kneeling, lying down, you have these four things you can do. Um, you, uh, so that those are rules. Um, but yes, and is more of a principle. I think it's more of a because uh, there's you know there's there are certain situations where as long as you're not denying the reality of the scene, you can definitely say no. I, I don't I don't recommend. It. I try to like. I like to do the the curmudgeon drill where where the, you know you have a guy. Where a lot of times, improvisers will say, "Well, my character would wouldn't say yes to this," um, but then I've seen um, you know shows where the the curmudgeon is like, "Oh God," and he gets he gets talked into it. So there's there's that element of trying to say yes without giving up your character, I guess. Um, but I think yeah, just a lot of the principles of of who, what, where, but not every scene has that uh, but but um uh or crow we we call it crow i think i don't want, i don't want, i don't want to say this but i think i think unexpected productions kind of invented the crow and then it's kind of has carried on through our through our students uh i know that uh Spolin refers to it as a who what nowhere so it should it should have a who what nowhere for the the scene to work but that's more of a principle than it is a rule i guess um i think i you know i don't know that's just my my opinion. <laughs> oh, and it's your opinion we're interested in hearing. So, you know, this is exactly what, what we want. Oh, good. And cool. as far as improv, I think something that fascinates me about it is in most other fields, I would, um, especially artistic or um, physical, I would say that one way of knowing that you're good at it is when you can start improvising. So for example, like when you're playing music and you know, you know the keys, you know the tunes well enough that you can improvise the next glyph. Or in dancing, I do salsa dancing, and at first you learn what the moves are, but then once you have a wide enough repertoire, it's not I do this move and I do that move, but it's feeling the music and then dancing according to that and making up moves. Yeah. Um, but in improv, it's like, you know, you start out making up moves. And so I think, you know, and that can be really hard. And I think that's where, like, um, I know, like, initially some instructors I had were, like, very goal-driven in the beginning just to give people a framework to work off. But then people end up... Um, latching onto that framework for way too long for mm. past the point where it's necessary, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Like one of the coolest improv moments or improv things I've, I've seen was uh, jazz improv. Uh, Tiffany and I went to um, a little jazz improv group called how now Brown cow. And we went to this little lounge and they happened to be playing there, but that's where we first saw and really noticed um, jazz improv. I mean, I've heard it, uh, hundreds of times before, but didn't really get it until now that I've been I've been an improviser for so long. Where they'll just start they'll like even just blow the blow the note, then somebody else will add on to it, and it sound, it's almost like a garbled mess. And then and then this chaos, you know, they develop a pattern, and then it becomes this beautiful song. And you think, oh, they wrote that, you know, by the end. And in improv, we do the same thing. We'll go out and make one little offer, and it can be kind of garbled or messy in the beginning, a lot, especially like big heralds. Um, but then as it, as it goes on, if, if you, if you, you're, you're, once you get good at it, like you were, you were saying, uh, uh, it just becomes, it just starts flowing and you think, oh, they wrote that. They must've written that. They must've done that bit before, you know, by the end. Um, I've heard that so many times watching shows here from the audience. It's just like, no, like there's no way to improvise that. <laughs> yeah. 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 We don't, we don't do a structure at all. We just, we just, we like when it comes to a style, like say Tennessee Williams, we just immerse ourselves in the language and then it becomes, we're in the world of Tennessee Williams 
with his language, just improvising this this story that happens. Where I know maybe maybe a newer group might want to structure everything. You know, they have to hit this beat, and then this one, and then this one, and then this one. Uh, where we just we just kind of take it all, throw it on the ground, and pick whatever one we are inspired by, whatever whichever way the story leads us to. You know, Moliere like is a great example. We did Moliere. And it was all improv, but there were certain little things that we hoped to get to, but if we didn't, it wasn't a big deal. Like, like the Moyer Halfen has a chase scene where they're chasing people around to music. Um, very Comedia dell'arte. Um, they sometimes often have a, like a, a mask or a, a masquerade ball, um, but we didn't force it in. But if it felt like it, it could work in organically, then it's like, oop. Now that's the masquerade ball offer, you know, and so that's happened uh, before. But we really try to stay away from structuring the the story part of it. Yeah, you know? and that's been definitely my um, experience, like watching and being performing some of the UP shows. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the UP shows, um, I know that you know, UP we definitely have like a lot of like set. Uh, th- shows throughout the year for example like Moliere or Tennessee Williams that's a Christmas show and I'm really curious about the origins of these shows like how do we come up with them originally and how do we decide which ones would continue and which ones wouldn't oh yeah well and actually you brought up the Christmas show that's the exception <laughs> that one's so structured yeah, except the Christmas show yeah, yeah that one's like, totally structured it's like a mad lib <laughs> but it's still really great so that's a, that shows a great example of we keep doing it because uh, people love it and they pay to see it but also the performers love doing it so I think the the ones that stick out the most are the ones that the players love doing and it feels like it was a really good show um, Tennessee Williams we brought back multiple times um because it just feels good. It's uh, to us. We, we've gotten really good at it. Uh, there are some shows where we'll do we'll do once, and we just we can't wait to get out of them because they're really painful to be in. I'm sure they're painful to watch. Um, but yeah, shows like Christmas Carol, theater sports has a nice a nice format. I mean, there's no you know it, it's a it's a nice competition format. So it's been going for ever since we've been open 35 years. Um, but what we do with it, within it, like the scenes we do are, they change all the time. Um, but I think that, yeah, but I think the favorites of, of recent, at least, have been some of the genres. Uh, I keep mentioning Tennessee Williams. We just did a show called, we do weird, obscure genres too. We just did a show called uh, Sunrise Club. And it's kind of like, uh, um, the, it's it's based on those movies where, something a bunch of a series of events happens complications and stuff starts messing you know getting getting crazy and they're they end up being up all night they gets all resolved when the sun comes up so we just did a show like that it was really fun it was very free uh to be to be silly with but there but there's those kind of more obscure styles too not just shakespeare and uh the 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 usual the usual ones but yeah i think um certain um uh, seasonal shows we we bring back a lot if they're if they're fun to be in as well like campfire uh the scary stories um and there's some that we just love that we have never brought back um which we sh- maybe we should but we just haven't gotten around to it i think i think a lot of it too has to do with the the s- success through the audience as well the ticket sales 
too. So yeah, it's a balance of the art and the business. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, which I actually think this probably describes yoga pretty well. So as managing director uh, of UP, I'm wondering if you could tell us like what your responsibilities are and what your day to day looks like. Oh yeah, you know, you, I think when I when I wasn't a managing director, I always wondered what the managing director did. Like, what what do they do? Do they sit back there and check emails all day? <laughs> and now and, that you are, what, what can you tell us? Oh man, it's it's a lot of work actually. <laughs> Checking those emails. Hey, well, there's that. Yeah, there's definitely that. Yeah, you got to check the emails, answer the phone calls, uh, but all the all the financial stuff. Your managing director is responsible for keeping up with the budget. Um, so we do 14 shows or we do about 10 shows per, per week. And so, um, a, a lot of them, yeah, the monetary tracking, um, I work a lot with Kent, Kent's the marketing director who's awesome. He's, he's really great. And then Randy, he's been artistic director since, it, since the opening, you know, the 35 years, but we, uh, uh, just hired on Jill as education director. But so we're, uh, I, I find myself working with each one of them individually as well, um, working help you know helping or or working with you know getting stuff bounced off me uh, with with Kent or or Jill and I figuring out stuff that has to do with the school the classes and uh, Randy and I talk a lot usually about the like what we might pay a teacher coming in or, or uh, just some of the monetary parts and budgeting parts of of the shows that uh, that are that's going to be coming out. Um, and I'm, I have the messiest desk and I think I realize like I'm the only one in the office that deals with the amount of paperwork that I do. Like I gotta, I gotta do all the bills. So I have stuff stacked up. I have to have a paper trail with everything. And, uh, so if you come in and see my messy desk, uh, I know where everything is, so don't mess with it. No, <laughs> um, but no, but, but I, that's a big part of it is, is handling all the all the paperwork and working with the accountant and um i also work with the front of house a, a lot with um we have a great front of, great front of house staff right now uh i used to be responsible for a lot of it like ordering all the all the stuff even you know i started out being the bartender and being the janitor and being all that stuff uh, and now we've grown to where we can we can pay somebody else to do it so uh i have sometimes more time but then we keep growing so then i'll go down to our georgetown space and uh i'm gonna get it ready it's gonna be ready for like student performances uh and so yeah there, it's there's just so so much that i'd never thought i would be doing like if i if i knew if somebody said here's what you're gonna be doing and they listed off the list of all the stuff i'd be doing I'd be like oh, okay i'll, I'll just I'll, I'll just find a different job <laughs> It's like that very first improv class you went to. You look in the window and it's like, okay, this is really weird. I'm just going to head back. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, I do know um, uh, when I did start out, too, it was slow. So you, you learn all that, just, you know, like any job, you just learn all that stuff as it happens. You get, like I, I came in, I didn't even know what Excel was, you know, 10 years ago and now, or 11. And now I'm, you know, QuickBooks, you know, I got to learn all QuickBooks and accounting and uh the spreadsheets and all that stuff, all that technical stuff. The technology. Ah, uh, man. <laughs> Before this, I worked at Office Depot, so I had a little little technology back. I sold all the business machines, all the, the fax machines. Like, what are, what are those? Oh, and now you, you can use those <laughs> machines. So yeah, I could for a while, and now they're getting obsolete. But, <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it's been... It's been it's been a good good job. 
And as a managing, so you're not only the managing director at UP, you also are perform, and you're mm-hmm. on a lot of shows, and you host duels. How do you manage that balance between being the managing director and also being a performer? Yeah, you know, in the in the very beginning, it was really hard. Um, I would be waiting, getting ready to go out into a scene, and somebody would say, "Jay, the keg blew," and nobody knew how to change it. I'd have to go out and, and change it, and um, and then I get I got to be where I needed. I needed an outlet too. I needed a creative outlet. And so I would leave UP and go, I, I like I performed with, uh, uh, at, at the second story rep a little bit, they had a little improv, uh, thing going and, and that evolved to that grew. Um, but I did that for a little while. And then I got to where I was able to just come back and I could work and then I could separate the work from, from the the play, uh, but it took it did take a while. It was you know once in a while I'll still some people will still there's no towels in the bathroom or you know some dumb little thing that you know I can fix easier they can fix, but but it's um, a lot a lot easier now and I I lay low definitely in during the during the shows I just try to act like a performer, um, but you know a lot of times right before the show they'll say uh, hey do you have that paycheck that you owe me. <laughs> We go, oh, yeah, yeah. Let me let me get that, or, or no, it's coming out next week, or you know that kind of thing. But so that it still seeps in. But I, but I've learned to kind of separate it now a little bit more. Are there any uh, tricks, routines, or practices that you do that make that separation easier? Uh, just just doing it. Yeah, no, not really. Just just doing. It. I think um, like I'll, I'll like like I find now doing the whole the whole duo sign up, for example, like on today, Wednesdays, um, it's, it's one thing that I kind of take for granted now. It's, you know, these are partially cause I know everybody. So I'm like, I know where to put this guy. I know I, I can negotiate stuff. They can, I can move people around, but when I have guest hosts, sometimes they're, they're really strict. They're like, no, you're just going to do it this way, you know, or, or they, uh, or they kind of get, get kind of crazy if they have to, you know, so I, I usually put together the list first and then if I have to, you know, get an outside host, but I, but I realize it's something, you know, I've been doing it 10 years. So, so, and then, and this job I've been doing 10 years, more than 10 years, 12 years. And so it's, it's, I think just, just doing, just doing it a lot and just f- finding the shortcuts, finding what's easy. And, and also, not being afraid to, to take a break and let something go. That's one of the big things. I know I do that a lot because I have a daughter. Um, I'll have to uh, take a whole, a whole day off to hang out uh, with her, but I have to, I have to do it. And then, you know, like I was with her all day yesterday, for example, but then I came in really early today and started working at like six thirty or seven uh, this morning where normally I'll come in at noon and work till nine or 10 or whatever. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know. It just kind of kind of happens. Work. Make it work. Yeah, you get you get you get easier. It gets easier. You get you get better at it. At this point, you know, for UP, um, is there anything that keeps you up at night? Uh, anything that you worry about, or if not, like, what do you think about the future of UP? Like, how will ten, twenty years from now? Uh, what is this going to look like? Are we going to have another bathroom renovation or <laughs> what's, what's the plan? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's, it's going, it's going strong right now. Um, yeah. Who knows 10 years from now, but um, we, we thought, you know, back when I first got here that, that we were, that we could be doomed with all the renovations we, we had in the, 
in the beginning. And so I went, I went on a, on a saving money spree basically. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah. So I mean, we thought we were going to be either gone, at least gone from here, uh, when they were going to renovate the, the elevator lobby. And when they, um, they did a lot of changes inside the the building itself. They took out all we took out all the seats and replaced them with new ones during that during that construction time. But we got we moved to the Intamin because they were getting ready to go under and all that. So stuff stuff has been working out for us. But um, I think uh, yeah the the future. I mean, as far as what we want to do, we are we do want to have changes in the lobby, kind of upgrade upgrade that. Uh, we want to expand a little bit more with more outreach, that kind of thing. But I feel like improv because it does change it it stays the same but it stays the same in that it's always changing with with the times too it it usually always stays relevant I mean theater sports is 35 years old but the scenes we do in it are they can stay relevant you know we we can right now we you know right now we might be doing a, a Donald Trump scene, you know. A few years ago, we were doing an Obama scene. A long time ago, we kept getting Michael Jackson as a suggestion, and we got to take those because they're going to be gone. They're part of history, and they're going to be gone eventually. I mean, they do get old after a while. Like we don't, actually don't do any any more Trump uh, Trump stuff. But, um, but I so I think as as the world changes, improvisers who come in are part of that changed world, and so it's going to. As long as we we do a good job and keep the quality up, we're going to be doing well until the end of time. I think so. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think if some alien anthropologist ever wanted to get a pulse on human culture and what was topical at the time, an improv show is a great place to do that. Um, I don't know how many scenes I've seen where, you know, Tinder and. Uh, swiping left, swiping right. Um, or yeah. There's stuff that's topical, but there's stuff that's also timeless. Like, you know, we're roommates. Why are you not doing the dishes? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. All those human tropes. Yeah, I think I think we do have to be careful of uh, of those ruts. You know, as we all as we get older, um, we keep some of the some of the same. Same like like when we do a typewriter scene. Well, nobody nobody uses a typewriter anymore, but we still we'll still do a typewriter scene. <laughs> uh, but we have to you know learn to adapt with with the with the technology of, of the time, like you said, the swiping right and and the the selfies and uh, subscribe to my page. That's what all the kids are doing now. You know when we do an improv show with them. Um, yeah, um, I'm you know personally ready for in these times to move on, but we'll, we'll see where we end up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's next? So uh, I want to talk about your improv style. So mm. you mentioned you know you're a much more physical uh, actor, and I think you also do a workshop on physical improv. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering if you could go more into that and just describe you know what you mean by that and how and how you approach improv. Well, one of the one of the things I learned when I've I've been to uh, um, Milan and then and then Dubai with uh, ITI and that's the International Theater Sports uh, Institute, a lot of the places uh that aren't that aren't america are very physical uh, they they uh, the workshops are very physical um uh i was talking with a, a really great uh, japanese improviser and uh she mentioned that western teachers are coming in and uh teaching improv 
it, it and a lot of it has to do it's a lot of it's very verbal and then standing around talking talky talky heads uh and they're I'm definitely guilty of that oh yeah yeah it, i mean it happens all the time here and um my favorite kind of improv is i, I mean i love again i love to watch stuff I don't, I can't do the, the witty, the witty stuff. But when they start getting energetic and, and physical, I love that even more. And uh, one of my favorite things to watch too is mime work. I just uh, mimes get a bad rap sometimes, or they may get made fun of, but they're pretty amazing. The good ones are just uh, they just blow me away. You know, the first the first class we did had a lot of uh, mime mime technique. And I, I've taken you know classes and workshops on it, but I've, and I've also been kind of a natural at it as well. And but then. When you start digging into just the basic mime stuff, then you see how it just expands into into other 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 uh, stuff as well. I mean, there's four there's four types of of mimes, and uh, you know, there's the the, the pantomime. that's like everything is uh, expressed. Everything is expressed through through physicality, uh, words, and everything. And uh, then there's the figurative mime who you uh become the object is the, the the main thing and so uh just uh, just all all the stuff that uh i've been learning uh with with this physical workshop has been has been great and it's it's um and then the stuff i've uh, taken away from other other people i've learned uh we're getting ready to, like tonight or tomorrow we have a Tomorrow in our physical class, we're going to be really getting involved in slapstick a lot of slapstick and with slapstick comes stage combat you have to know stage combat because you want to be safe when you're uh, doing the slapstick <laughs> and or when you're doing the stage combat um but the little, the little tricks and um there's uh, uh jacques lecoq he was uh, he died in 99 he taught for 80 years or, or he taught up until he he died in, in his 80s i guess um and he was a physical uh drama teacher a lot of mime a lot of you know, from contact improv, to, but how your body, like using using real uh, situations as your as your physical warm up, is one like reaching up to grab something or, or picking reaching down to pick up a box. But that's also warming up your body, doing it multiple times. Um, and he has the seven tensions of improv, and we're going to be talking about that probably uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, you know the first first tension where you have no tension at all. You're just lying there like a blob on the ground. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah, uh, and, it, and it works all the way up through um, through where you're you're back paralyzed again, but you're paralyzed in fear, and that's the seventh tension. Uh, so you know you go you go through this, the different stages, um, uh, and but that but all that stuff really helps uh, if you just have it in the back of your mind. You 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 know the vocabulary or you you know what each each one means then you can bring it out in your in your natural performance and then there's a laban technique as well rudolph laban um he does the eight efforts and it's a way of digging out different characters and different uh, yeah different characters and character styles in every person and you get you get to where you can identify certain people uh, if they're uh, a um, a punch character, like for example, uh, uh, a punch or, character is that somebody that gets punched or it punches people. <laughs> so uh, so you have the uh, uh, the eight efforts, but then you have um, you have the fir- the the first four um, uh, par- parts of it that are uh, direct and indirect. Um, you have. Uh, heavy or light, uh, 
uh, quick or um, uh, sustained, you know, quick or slow, basically, but they call it sustained. Uh, and then you have the uh, energy part of it. You have the uh, flow part of it. Is it bound or is it free? So then you take each one of those. That's just the vocabulary of it. You take each one of those, combine them, and then you get certain characters. So a, a punch character would be direct, strong, quick, and bound, I guess. So anyway, and you, you go through these eight different ones. Uh, and, and I, you know, wouldn't expect anybody to ever memorize, like I can barely get it out talking about it. Um, but it's really, really cool. Like you can watch somebody and are they direct or are they indirect or are they strong or strong would be, um, uh, heavy, heavy and strong is another word for heavy. Um, or are they, uh, or are they light or gentle, you know, so you can see characters who are gentle and who are, are, are bound or are they more free and open? So these these little things kind of are going to seep into the workshops. So it seems like some really useful ways to inform your character work to define what your character is. Yeah, yeah, very, very so it becomes it becomes way more simple than you know when, once you do understand it. Um, but but also it's just the physicality is is fun. I love object work and uh, all that stuff. For object work, I find that whenever I end up in it. There would always be details I would forget about. For example, like a present, I need to unwrap it. A mm. cupboard, there is something I need to open. There was a desk there that I just walked through. Yeah. To me, it's just really hard to keep things in my head. Yeah. Um, how do you do it? Well, the, yeah, the first thing you got to do is remember your own stuff. You got to remember where you, you put stuff. But, you know, the, the I can't even do that in real life. I know, I know. Yeah, then, then, then there's the part, of course, you got to remember where, where other people set up that table. You know, we, we did a cocktail party in the first class where everybody had their own table. Of, they had their own hors d'oeuvres on the table. And I go, okay, remember where your table is? And people would go from table to table, but somebody always had to be at one to remember where it was. And there was a cool drill that, uh, that we did. Um, I, I had them do, we didn't really dive real deep into it, but it's the push pin drill. Uh, you, you start out by, uh, uh, putting push pins into, into a cork board or, or wherever sheetrock or a cork board. Um, and, and, and first of all, you, when you, when you go to grab an item, you want to show that your hand is empty to the, to the audience and to the, any, any spectator, the fellow performer, show that it's empty. And then you go to reach it pop it out and then if you put it then you put it somewhere else and then open your hand and then you can kind of go back and play with the same push pin and you're seeing it as one color maybe it's a clear push pin uh don't picture a bunch of clear push pins so your next one might be a blue push push pin so you can do that and you can move it around and then grab a grab the clear one then move it back down but then reach over and grab the the blue one so you have to kind of remember where it is then you can add another color a red and then a green and then a yellow uh, and um we touched on it but didn't didn't uh, get too too deep into it um uh but then the next thing is have somebody else you know together as a as a pair you 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 know where the pushpin is like you move one then they grab it from the same location move it to another one so the exercise uh part the, the skill that it works i guess is your your memory of where you put something and and also the specificity of a tiny object being moved, then you work your way up to a, a big object. If you can remember where that you put a yellow pushpin over here, then you can hopefully remember that there's a big table right here. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, that seems really useful and really difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's the, the the table thing is 
his hard uh I think all my scenes are just gonna be set in the future where everything is a virtual hologram, so you can just walk over stuff. And- yeah. Well the other thing is it's like, yeah, if you if you know where things are, if you if you can see it, then the audience will see it. But the only thing is in improv, if you see it like like right now I'm doing the the mime hand thing, I'm I'm on a wall. Uh someone might come up and say, Oh, can I pet your horse? Then, it, then the wall becomes a horse, you know. So you have you have to be ready to to change. Uh, so yes, you can see it, but be willing to change and see the next offer. I think that's a really um, good summary of improv. Actually, like you're yeah. seeing, you see something, but also you need to be willing to change it depending on what other people see. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, you have you have to also be willing to jump in and do something with somebody even if you don't know what they're doing they might be they might be uh, uh shoveling something and if you don't know what they're shoveling just shovel with them until until you figure it out or until it's defined that's, that's another you know little little thing to do or you can just define it i'm shoveling snow uh, as long as you don't as long as you don't say no i'm not i'm shoveling poop or whatever you know you want to make shouldn't accept the offer yeah, all that. there's so much that you can do. And at the end yeah. of the day, it's playing around. Um, though it's so hard to play. <laughs> That's what I find <laughs> when I do improv. Oh, yeah. Uh, just letting go of preconceived notions of, you know, like, I, got, I should be doing it like this. Why are people not laughing? Why am I, like, is this, am I doing this the <laughs> right way? Stuff like that. Um, I'm wondering, at this point, are you, is there anything that you're working on in your improv? Um, I, you know, that for as, as physical as I am, because, because I'm doing the class, it got me back into, uh, physicality mode. And so I'm really conscious. I'm even more conscious now because I'm doing the class. I'm more conscious of my own physicality and, and the embodiment of, of the characters and, and the specificity of, of object work. I'm way more uh, I'm I'm really working on that extra hard now. Just so I'm, like I'm teaching a class, I better be good at it too. I better be able to to practice what I preach. Um, but other than that, we just we have different different uh, shows that that are happening that come up that uh, I'd love to dive into. Again, like Checkoff is going to be coming up, improvised Checkoff. And I'm not as familiar with that, but when we do the rehearsals, you know, we all get Im- immersed in it. Um, we're doing a, on Sunday. We open Little Bitches, and it's a, a kind of an improvised Mean Girl mm. movie, like a teen movie, but but kind of focused on the on the bitches. Uh, so we're doing that. So of course, I had to <laughs> I had to uh, watch a lot of those movies, and they're, they're pretty fun. They're pretty fun to watch, but I do want to you know maybe play the adult characters yeah you know i'll I'll let the the younger guys play the the studs did you watch them with your daughter or was this a solo activity uh we we have watched my daughter and i have watched them before and tiffany's directing it my my wife tiffany is directing it and um so she's watched a bunch and i've watched a bunch with her and and then we'll, we'll analyze them and uh yeah one of the things we were worried about was we are all no, nobody's a teenager. You know, we're all a little bit older, uh, and so she was going to inf- infuse a, a flashback of some sort. So where we're we are old, but then we flash back into these into these kids. But we may or may not do that. It's uh, uh, may, it's looking like probably not. 
just play it. And I'll just play the older. I'll play the dad, the coach. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to pre-plan it, but I also know <laughs> my know my uh, my age range and my my casting. I guess. <laughs> I think everyone who does improv is show a kid at heart and and play. So yeah, I think you have a lot of options available. Yeah, yeah, and that's what and Spolin. That's one of her biggest teachings is play. Just go go back into your your child brain and and play and have fun and don't worry about story just play just play um that sounds like great advice and there's a lot more i want to ask but um we're getting to the end of the hour okay and i want to be conscious of time so um i have a couple of closing questions i like to ask okay so the first question what is something that inspires you this could be a person uh, a phrase a book a story that you've heard but um, what is the source of inspiration? I, I, I get, I got really inspired by recently, at least what's really inspired, inspiring was my son. I have a son who's, who's 32 and he's a, he's a chef now. And, uh, he started doing stuff that I wish I could do. I, I, I can't go on a diet. He's been cooking now vegan, uh, or he'll, he'll take at least a few days a week to maybe just go vegan, uh, or, or he'll, um, he finds that he's, he's been depressed, uh, before. So he'll go and he'll work out in the morning. And I, I'm like, man, I don't, I gotta work out more. I gotta, I gotta take some inspiration from him. He's, he's been great about it. He'll, he'll put his mind to something though. And he'll just, he'll just do it. And I, and I would love to be able to do that more, but I mean, that, that's one thing I, I was inspired by was, was him, uh, Jason is my son. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the biggest thing. I think that's really really inspirational. If you're he, he he was depressed for a while, so he would find find working out helped him, and then then his his eating. So he's looking better. He's eating healthier. He's fixing his inside body so that his mind will be healthy. And yeah, yeah, I, that's, that's not easy one. to come out from. So that's really good on him for um, yeah. setting up a routine and sticking to it. That's yeah. not easy. So I didn't know you had a son. And mm-hmm. my next question, this is my segue, <laughs> is oh. what is something um, that maybe a lot of people might not know about you? I was adopted. Well, some people, a, lot of, a lot of people know about that. My son is 32. My daughter's 12. So they're 20 years apart. <laughs> I won't say how, how that happened. No. Leave it um, up to you, the listeners' imaginations. Yeah. I fell from a building when I was in college. I climbed the side of a dorm. Some people know that, but I climbed the side of a dorm. I uh, got about a couple of feet from the top, and it was two stories, three stories, three stories, three stories. And I fell from a three-story building onto cement. Ooh. Below that. Did you um, have to go to the hospital? I did. I got ran to the hospital. I didn't break anything. But you ran I, to the hospital? No, no. Well, I got... I got put into a uh, my friend's van. He was okay. there. He got me in the van, went to the emergency room. My feet swelled up like footballs. And I had leg braces for a while. I'd push myself around on a skateboard in college. Um so that yeah, that was pretty that was pretty crazy. I'm gonna ignore that. Ignore that Carl. Um Yeah. And uh I recently so I'm I'm adopted. I recently uh looked up and found the name of of my birth mom so i hit 50 and 
she was 19 when she carried me and she's 20 she was 20 when she had me so she's in her 70s i'm in my 50s or i'm 50 she's 70 and i thought my adventure my my milestone is to find her track her down before or like make contact with her before she turned 71 or before i turned 51 so while we're in our our zero ages so that's one thing i I think that's kind of new for me uh and she doesn't know it yet (laughs) she's probably not listening so Uh, who knows yeah yeah maybe that's gonna be quite a union then yeah, it could be could be pretty cool. She lives on uh, Beacon Hill, and uh, I've lived five miles away from her for like twenty years. So I didn't even know it. Do you know what you're gonna do? Year. Are you just gonna drop out her address and say hi? Or uh, no, I've, I actually we, we've driven by before. I, I get really nervous, but I thought about maybe writing her a letter. You know, I think of of that generation, they'll appreciate maybe a letter first uh, with with contact info and see if she wants to reach out to me um and then if she doesn't i'll i'll show up at her door <laughs> no i don't know i think anyone w- would be lucky to have you as um yes i'm gonna leave it at that oh no thanks <laughs> thanks yeah my my mom uh my mom died and then my my stepdad uh di- my stepdad died first then my mom died they're the ones who kind of raised me for when i was seven my my other dad died too so uh might be a good a good time to just check check it out just for i don't know for curiosity's sake at least anything gonna find out more about her yeah i think that would be great so thank you for sharing that my next question would be um about principles and is there any particular principle or idea or belief that you live by well the one thing i tell my daughter and i and i've done this when I was, you know, young as well, is really just be nice and be respectful to to everybody. If there's a a younger kid, or or you know, this is to her, but I I take this advice too. If there's a younger kid or somebody who you think you don't like or who's annoying, just be be nice to them. If there's somebody who, um, I mean, if somebody bullies you, stand up to them, but don't hate anybody, and uh, you'll go up being happy for doing that. I mean, you might even have other friends when you grow up or you might need them or they might be your, your boss and they're like, they're, you know, you know, you never know what's going to happen there, but, but just really be respectful of everybody is kind of my, my thing, I yeah. guess. I think we could all use a little bit more of that. Yeah. Especially in the city and rush hour. And <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Jay. This has been a lot of fun, and I just have one more question before I let you go. Okay. And this one's a catch-all. It's open-ended. It's, is there anything that I should have asked you or that you would like to talk to my listeners about? This could be about upcoming shows, um, things in the city, uh, whatever it is. It's open mic to you now. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, uh, well, you know, we're having a beer Olympic at our house on uh, Labor Day. <laughs> um, no, I don't have the whole city coming okay, to so that. address, phone number. Yeah, and- yeah, we're in West Seattle. Um, I guess uh, come come to come to improv. Come to come to the come to the improv show. Come to Unexpected Productions. Uh, check out especially uh, the 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 duo night and come in with with no judgment because <laughs> you never know what you're going to see on that night. Um, and uh, and 
you know, just treat everybody respectfully out there. Go see uh, Black Klansman. I just went and saw that last night. It was great. Great show. Uh, That's a, uh, I went to show how ignorant I am. Movie, play. Oh, it's, uh, uh, yeah, Spike Lee. Spike Lee's new new film. It's it. genius. It's fantastic. And, uh, yeah. Oh, and, then, and by the way, I'm, I'm half black, if anybody doesn't, doesn't know that. If, yeah. If you look at me because my head's shaved, it's hard to tell what I what I might be. So and twelve foot tall. I'm twelve feet tall. Yeah, no. people yeah. can't tell that from the audio. <laughs> I'm, uh, are the turtles going to make a comeback anytime the, soon? The turtles will make a comeback eventually. I yeah, I've been not I've been laying low on improv this year because I've had a whole bunch of things going on. But I do think the turtles will make a comeback either later this year or next year. Okay, let me know. Yeah, definitely. Uh-oh. You'll be the first one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I should be. Just sign up early. <laughs> yes. All right, Jay. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Cool. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, everyone. This is Kevin again. Just a few more things before you go. First of all, thanks, as always, for listening. If you like this episode, please get it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps me to get more listeners to the show. If you have suggestions, feedback, or nominations of people that you would like to hear about, you can send suggestions at feedback at folkstories.org. This email is also listed in the show notes. Otherwise, have a fantastic week, and I'll see you next time.